0: It's time to take a look around the NFL with our weekly visit from John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. I need to see a dog make a play. No puppies. I need a dog to make a play. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. And one of our favorite guests of the week, John McClain from the Houston Chronicles, on the phone lines now. John, thank you for your time as always. And we talked about it for weeks. We said, hey, there's a possibility the Raiders can get into the playoffs if they run it out. And, and week 18, it could come down to that. And the Chargers, it did. They found a way to win. And they're in the playoffs. They're set now. What did you th- what What did you make of what you saw Sunday night?
1: Was that you? I saw jumping up and down, doing cart flips after that game,
0: doing cartwheels. No, John, I would have pulled a hamstring you or sure broke my leg. <laughs>
1: I, mean, I, I, I sure thought that looked like you in the end zone.
0: <laughs> they wouldn't let me well, in the I'll end zone. <laughs> I tell
1: you what, too. that was one of the best games I've ever seen, and it certainly looked like Rich Besaggio was. Was going to play for the tie and let both teams get in the playoffs. And everybody in Pittsburgh stayed up late to watch the end of the game with Big Devastated, of course, led by Ben Roethlisberger. And then Brandon Staley had a terrible game. When Brandon Staley called that timeout, it looked like the Sox just says, Okay, we're going to show you, we're going to win that game. And they did. And I'll guarantee you, the NFL was happy. Roger Cadell. Because I don't think they would ever want a situation like that where a tie would put both teams in the playoffs. But it was a great game. I know Raiders fans had to have been dying when Justin Herbert engineered those last two drives. But, you know, there's a lot of fans that I've been told that, that don't, have not liked the Raiders, and others who, you know, just apathetic about the Raiders because they like other teams. They're starting to pay attention to them because of all the obstacles they've overcome, the tremendous coaching job, Versace has done, Mike Mayock behind the scenes, Derek Carr, and I'm already predicting them to Cincinnati and pull off an upset at Paul Brown Stadium because give me a team that's hot going into the playoffs, a team that can run the ball, and they can Now, I know the Bengals are good. They're loaded with skilled position players, but if it comes down to a field goal, who's going to bet against Carlson? I don't think anybody, there just seems to be a Raider mistake right now and a lot of people are getting caught up in
0: that whirlwind. I, I see it. I see it as well, John. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about the Raiders that normally weren't talking about the Raiders, but uh, right now it's it's the hot topic and they're the hot team to, to talk about. You mentioned Rich Basaccia and his coaching. Uh, what have you made? Just kind of go into further detail, what you've made of, of how he's grown as a head coach since he's took over for John Gruden.
1: Well, first of all, as I'm not there, you know better that better than me. But looking from afar, he stepped into a difficult situation. He's been with Gruden for a long time. He is the person, the right person. I'm guessing Mike Mayock recommended to Mark Davis that he be the guy. Maybe Gruden recommended to Mark Davis that he be the guy. But obviously, he's been the guy. And to overcome what they did getting the players to focus without losing. And then the Rugs tragedy, which could have had a negative effect on everybody, then going through the losing streak when everybody wrote them off, when Derek Carr was gonna be traded, they needed a new quarterback, and then all of a sudden keeping the guys focused on the next game and winning close games to can do wonders for a team, give them a collective confidence. Just like losing close games, if it gets to be a habit, it's contagious. And it's the same way with winning. You can see winning is contagious on the Raiders on both sides of the ball and special teams. And I'm just sorry, they're not going to be able to play a playoff game Allegiant Stadium because that would be
0: rocking. Man, it would. It would because it was rocking on Sunday night. It was the loudest I've heard it with fans in there. It was just – it was incredible. I mean, from the beginning to the end uh, with the confetti dropping and everything, it was just – it was one hell of a scene. And you mentioned Brandon Staley, and, of course, he gets a lot of love from everyone for everything that he does. He's the guy who goes for it on fourth down. He goes for the two-point conversions. But I saw your tweet when uh, fourth fourth and one from his own 18 gets stuffed You said something about analytics, but there's also common sense, and that wasn't a very good common sense play, John.
1: No, it wasn't, and I don't think analytics played anything into that. You know, one of the problems with analytics, it doesn't take into account who's on defense, who's blocking, who's healthy, who your running back is, what is the strength of the defense. Now, if somebody could create an analytics algorithm for each game that gave you all that information, and then you wanted to go for it on fourth and one and you had good reason to be other than the fact I'm going to show people I know what analytics are. Then that might make sense, but there's too many factors that analytics don't take into account. And that was certainly one of them. And he's lucky it didn't cost him a touchdown. It was just a field goal, but I'm pretty sure they could have, uh, they would like to have had that back and punted and not given up that field goal that was the difference in the
0: victory. Absolutely. You sure was. Talking right now with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, talking all things NFL here on Unnecessary Roughness. My man DeMond's got a question for you.
2: Yeah, John, I'm glad you said that because I've (laughs) been saying all season, Brandon Staley, all hype. You know what? For the lack of a better term, he tried to get too cute. That's what happened to him, John. Do you think that losing this and all of these chances that he likes to take, do you think that maybe he's going to be a little humbled next season and maybe just take it a little easy on trusting the analytics so much?
1: DeMond, if a rookie coach does not learn, he's doomed to repeat those mistakes, and most rookie coaches have go on to do good things, uh, they admit they make mistakes, and they have to learn. They have to make sure they got the right staff. And I don't think we're going to see him go for fourth down five times a game and miss three like he did at one point, later said football people know why I did this. No, football people don't. It's the analytical nerds that know. And so I would think, yes, everybody says he's a good coach. They like his enthusiasm. And as long as he's got Justin Herbert, they're going to be a factor in that playoff race.
0: Yeah, Justin Herbert looks good. You know, nobody can deny that. He looks really good and was able to engineer some some real-deal drives on Sunday night that, like you said, had Raider Nation on the edge of their seat, not none, not knowing how it was going to shake out. Now, John, I wanted to ask you about Black Monday. That came and went. Five coaches were relieved of their duties. Today we find out about Joe Judge in New York. He's gone now from the Giants. Uh, what did you think about the, the Giants finally making the decision to fire him? I'll
1: tell you this, Q. Before the game Sunday um, – a longtime writer covering the Giants since 1985, Bob Globber, took a picture of the parking lot, and he said, I have never seen this parking lot so empty this close to the game. And that probably said it all. Fans in New York are apathetic, and New Jersey. And the thing that makes this job attractive, they're hiring a new GM, and it's smart to get rid of Judge. Let the new GM hire his coach. Don't be in a rush. And it's an attractive job because they have the fifth and seventh picks in the first round. Mm-hmm. They're five, and the Bears seven because of the Justin Fields trade. And one of the things I propose in a column tomorrow, if they traded for Deshaun Watson, you talk about creating interest in the metropolitan area, uh, getting fans back on board to have a great back who they haven't had in a long time. I mean, Eli Manning won two Super Bowls, but. Would you really say Eli Manning was an elite quarterback during his career? I don't know. But Watson is, and I think he would, he would reinvigorate the fan base. And I wrote that if I'm the Texas GM, Nick Casario, I'm not asking for both of those picks, just one, and their are two. They've got ten picks overall, a couple of threes, and get the ones in the future. And that GM, the new coach, right away, have a great quarterback instead of trying to figure out for a fourth year that Daniel Jones wasn't worth the pick that Dave Gettleman, the retiring general manager, used to get him.
0: Right. I agree with that. That would be a hell of a thing. And that would, man, you want to talk about some interest. That would immediately make the New York football giants a, a, a team that everyone's paying attention to. Uh, what about this one, John? What about Brian Flores? He was uh, fired in Miami, and I was shocked by that. What did you think about him getting fired?
1: I was shocked as well, Q. But then I started reading things from reporters who covered the team. And one, Armando Salguero, who covered them for almost 30 years and went to Outkick.com this year, wrote a column and said, what about his coaching? He said it's about his personality and the way he dealt people and the way he went through assistant coaches, change coordinators every year. And that was more about it. And he actually wrote, instead of taking a job, got to take a year off to reassess the way he deals with people. And I think he's going to get a job because, He's had back-to-back winning seasons. He didn't have a playoff season, but uh, he will get another head coaching job right now. There's no former Patriot assistants who are head coaches, but I don't think that's going to last long because I believe Flores will land on his feet somewhere. How about maybe here?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. What about uh, what about that? Because Casario has those Patriot ties. Flores comes from the Belichick tree. Is there a chance that he could bring him the, him in there?
1: I've been writing for a week Q that if the Texans fired David Cully after one year, he went four and thirteen with what people predicted to be the worst roster and a team that would have the first overall pick. He swept Jacksonville and the Jaguars were favored by six and five and then he beat the Chargers and the Titans. And so he did better than most people thought with the rookie quarterback Davis Mills playing most of the season. At one point they had twenty one players on the COVID-19 list and still beat the Chargers. I think that firing him after one year would be grossly unfair. But Nick Casario, I believe if he wants to hire somebody from New England. Could be Josh McDaniels, who he worked with for 20 years. Could be Gerard Mayo, their inside linebacker's coach. Or could be Flores. Flores worked with Casario for 15 years with the Patriots, uh, Floyd started when he was 23 years old in scouting as an assistant, and he worked with Casario in personnel, and then he moved to coaching. So I think it would be doing a, a great man, an honest man, a hardworking man, David Cully, an injustice. He gets fired after one year with the you know, it's hard to make chicken salad out of chicken spit, and he wasn't <laughs> able to do it. And I don't think any other coach could have done it this year with what Casario gave him.
2: Yeah, John, so if they were, maybe if they were to go to Brian Flores' route, do you think that Deshaun Watson could let the bygones be bygones with the front office of the Texans and play for Flores because that was one of the attractive reasons why he wanted to go to Miami? No, my God, no, Deshaun
1: Watson is never coming back to the Texans, and uh, he hates the Texans. And he's got 22 civil lawsuits accusing him of sexual misconduct and assault. And he put this team through hell this year by – not playing. It's demanding to be traded. So, no. And in Miami, Flores wanted him. The Gene Chris Greer wanted him. The owner, Stephen Ross wanted him. And Watson would only approve the trade to Miami. And people are like, why did he want to go with Dolphins? And most of us think it's because of South Florida, not the Dolphins. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right exactly <laughs> Miami is a nice place to go to hang out right that's that's where he wouldn't mind going and, and hanging out talking right now with John McClain here on Raider Nation Radio 920 how about this game this is coming up this weekend the 48 Niners and Cowboys when I see it on paper it immediately reminds me of of back in the day the 90s how they used to always have the rivalry going on what are you thinking about this upcoming playoff game you guys weren't
1: even alive when that rivalry began I was in 70s <laughs> and then stretched into the Catch. It's the 40 year anniversary of the catch. I was in behind the end zone at Candlestick Park. The media had gone down with seven minutes left to go in the dressing room, and I'm standing with some other reporters. It's cold. We're wearing hats and long coats, and all of a sudden we see Montana roll his right, roll his right, throw the ball. And I told the guy next to me, Where the hell is he? Boom. Here comes Dwight Clark to make the catch right in front of me one of the greatest moments I've had 45 years of covering the NFL. I wish Dwight Clark was still around to celebrate it with Joe Montana. And it was the start of a new dynasty. Set up the 49ers to win their first Super Bowl. And then in the 90s, the rivalry continued. A lot of people won't remember that, but I do. And if you're a Cowboys fan, there's just something special about the Niners right now. Just like there's something special with the Raiders.
0: Yeah, I, I keep thinking, and I'm, I'm really leaning towards picking the 49ers in that game. And I know that the Cowboys have been playing well this season, but it's just it feels like the, the Niners are, are, are leaning in the right direction right now and, and playing a little bit better ball than Dallas. So I think I'm going to pick the 49ers to win this game, uh, even though it might not be very popular. <laughs> it might not be the popular vote.
1: I saw that Jimmy Garoppolo like 35-17. and 17. We know he's been to a Super Bowl, but people just don't trust him. He just beat the Rams after he had surgery on his thumb. That was a pretty gutsy performance, and I saw Trey Lance when the Texans played out there. Texans were within ten seven in the fourth quarter, and then the and then they scored a touchdown and two field goals. and Garoppolo came back and played as well as he can play. And there's something about a quarterback who's playing hurt, and that uh, that ignites his teammates to play around him. It won't surprise me at all. Q and Demond if they go into Arlington and they come away with a stunning upset.
0: No, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, Talking with John McClain here from the Houston Chronicle, just got a couple more questions for you. What about this uh, Monday night football game? It's the first time that a wild card game has been on Monday night football. The Cardinals and the Rams, this is the NFC West showdown. Uh, What are you thinking about this game?
1: Man, did the Cardinals blow a great opportunity. Losing at home to Seattle, out of the playoffs, great performance by Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll did a terrific coaching job. Cardinals blow it they limp into the playoffs that's usually not good Matthew Stafford has become a turnover machine I'm not going to pick the Cardinals to win twice at SoFi Stadium we also know the Cardinals don't have a fan base it's going to go there and make noise like the Niners did so I'm going with the Rams and I love a Monday night game in the playoffs
2: all right John last one for me is Mike Vrabel your coach of the year
1: Last week, I wrote a column to mine when the Titans came here, why he should be coach of the year, and John Robinson, executive of the year. They played a league record, 91 players. They didn't have Derrick Henry for the second half of the season. They missed A.J. Brown, a great receiver, for five. Julio Jones, it missed like nine games. And yet, here they are, 12-5, and five, a tremendous coaching job by Mike Vrabel. I believe that Zach Taylor will get it from the Bengals. I don't have a problem with that, and I think Matt Lafleur will finish third, but Rich Moustache deserves a lot of votes. The voting was done on Tuesday, so the people that voted know what happened Monday night, and I'll be stunned if a lot of people didn't recognize the terrific job he's done.
0: Boom, there's a mic drop moment right there. I like that. That's a great way to wrap things up. John McLean from the Houston Chronicle on Twitter, at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. John, uh, what do you got coming out on uh, Texas Sports Nation that folks should be on the lookout for?
1: I have a column that's on there right now, the Houston Chronicle, tomorrow about the report over the weekend that if Bill O'Brien doesn't get the Jacksonville job, he is in line to be hired as Matt Rule's offensive coordinator at Carolina. And I speculate, could that mean Bill O'Brien and Sean Watson will be reunited in Charlotte, which is less than 200 miles from his hometown of Gainesville, Georgia? And even closer to Clemson, where he won a national championship, would he waive that no-trade clause to go to the Panthers, he proceeded vigorously until the lawsuits piled up. And I think that'd be a marriage made in heaven. It went really well here between Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson.
0: (laughs) I like it. I like it. There you go. That's a way to tie it all together, John. Uh, Definitely appreciate you, as always. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much, and good luck to the Raiders. There he goes. Great. John McClain right there from the Houston Chronicle. Always uh, love catching up with him each and every week. You can find him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. 320 is the time. We'll come back. Take your calls. Take your texts. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. What does it mean to be a Raider? What to you? What does it mean to be a Raider? Man,
3: being a Raider is not just being a football player. It's not about the, just the jersey or just the, just the helmet. It's about a lifestyle. It's about, it's about loyalty. It's about doing whatever you have to do to help your brothers, to help your family. That's what it's all about. It's never putting yourself above the shield. That's what being a Raider is all about.
0: Welcome back, Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. Coming up in a matter of minutes, Deontay Lee, Pro Football Focus, host of the Too High Podcast. Talk a little national championship game. Talk a little Raiders defense, how they can try to go about slowing down the Bengals and their high-flying attack as far as offense goes. Deontay Lee, Pro Football Focus, will join us in a matter of minutes. Right now, though, on the Raider Nation listener line, 702-365-9200 is our guy, Mitch in New Jersey. What's on your mind, Mitch? How you doing? How's it going, too? Chilling, man, chilling. You doing over there? I'm chilling here. It's about 20. Not
4: even 20. <laughs> I can hardly change anything even. If I make a few misdeliveries, too so bad. <laughs> yep, I hear you. Yeah, that, that was like the perfect storm uh, Sunday night. Well, congratulations! I'm glad, uh, Mr. Oh, excuse me, oh, you're having like a brain freeze, literally. <laughs> it happens. It's jo- cold, Josh. Congratulations on, on getting going beyond 100 yards.
0: Oh finally. yeah, hmm Josh Jacobs. Yep.
4: And I was saying about the perfect storm. Where, of course, the charger coach uh, screwed up. All the things had to happen where you just had run out the clock, and they both of them got in, and you would have stuck to those Steelers because the Steelers always get that good coach and a good quarterback.
0: It was the perfect storm. It was, but you know the thing about it is, who would you rather end the playoffs? Do you want the Steelers in the playoffs, or do you want your division rival in the playoffs?
4: Well, Big Ben, I mean, you got to admit, this, he he knows what he's doing. He's still, good. I think he could still play, but he's just taking a beat.
0: Yeah, I can, I, I, um, I believe he could play, too, but I just don't think that they're very good right now. So I, I don't mind the Steelers being in the playoffs. I'd much rather the Chargers be on the outside looking in.
4: It would have been great to see all three. Those are great teams, classic teams. You really don't want to see it, Casey. That's, that's for sure. Right. But anyway, it was it was a great game. It was so many good games this past week. Could have had three ties. Three ties, you know, that's another pro still in there. That could have been, but I think it's reps a little. And some of these coaches, they're boneheads. Anyway. Thanks
0: for taking my call. Thank you, my man. Be good out there in New Jersey. Be safe. Stay warm. Get them deliveries in. But uh, do what you got to do. I do appreciate the call. Now, as promised, Deontay Lee from Pro Football Focus, host of two High Podcast on Twitter at PFF underscore D Lee, joins us now. Deontay, thank you so much for your time. It's always great to catch up to you. I don't know, man. The SEC championship game, I thought that Georgia was going to win. Alabama gave them the business. Then I thought in the national championship game, Alabama was going to give them the business, and Georgia turned it around on me. So, what the hell? I don't know what's going on, but what did you see on Monday night from the national championship game?
3: I think that we saw Georgia remember who they were defensively um, for every game outside of the SEC championship game, and that's that's honestly what the difference was. They won the, they won the game up front. That SEC championship game is probably the only game of the season that we can say that Georgia did not win the game up front. And even in that, a lot of that was Bryce Young being able to escape pressure and create offense. Um, in that SEC title game. What we saw in the national championship game were guys like Nolan Smith, N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tindall, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis. You know, the entire you know, um, you know, combination of guys just getting after Bryce Young, forcing him out of the pocket, um, spies and making him uncomfortable. And you saw a lot of the throws that he was making in that SEC title game and even in the semifinal game going away because there just was not enough comfort in the pocket for Bryce
0: Young. Was or is Georgia now built for success for the long term or was this an extra special year?
3: I think that it's a combination of both.
0: Okay. Um,
3: I don't I don't know if you can ever bank on having this much talent, this much speed on the field at one time defensively, and they've had some really good ones, right? Like we know the Roquan Smith years, we mm-hmm. know about like Aziz, Ojalari, all these guys who have gone on and become productive professional athletes. Like they've had very talented defenses. I think to the degree that they had, especially up front this past year, you can't expect that. Now, what I will say is for them to win a national title with the quarterback that they had should be an alarm bell for everybody that if they get that position figured out and now you don't have to have one of the best defenses of the modern era, if not of all time, in order to be champions, that's the scary thing. And it's the same thing we saw Alabama go through A decade ago, 2012, 2013, they beat LSU, they beat Notre Dame, and then from that era on, is when they finally made that investment in the quarterback position. They brought in Lane Kiffin as the OC, and now you have this last decade of Alabama dominance. So the opportunity is there for Georgia to be able to replicate that if they can do the same thing offensively.
0: Talking right now with Deontay Lee from Pro Football Focus here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. And uh, let's talk about Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. He was in tears after the game, uh, after it was sealed, and he knew that they were going to win. He was in tears. Uh, he has a hell of a journey that folks are having a good time to talk about. But in, in all reality, how good of a quarterback, is he or is he not?
3: I think that he's a very good college quarterback, and I think that it's okay to limit it to that. Okay. I think that, um, you know, if you take if you take his numbers, his production on the whole, and you kind of use it as like a blind tasting test type of thing against other quarterbacks, you'd probably find that he matches up relatively well in terms of his productivity. Um, I think that his concerns, the concerns that we had about Bennett were warranted, though. It's not what you look like in weeks 1 through ten, one 1 through 12, it's what do you look like when, you're, when the SEC championship is on the line? What do you look like when a chance for a national title is on the line? And after he had stumbled against Bama the first time around, and you know certainly last year with the 2020 Alabama team that was just one of the best teams you've ever seen, you know there was reason to have questions about whether or not this guy was prepared to take them over the hump. I think that you know he'll go in the same kind of ranks of championship quarterbacks that your Ken Dorsey's. You know, you can talk about, you know, your Matt Leinert, who I think is a little bit better. But I think if you kind of adjust for error, you can probably throw him in the same kind of area in terms of talent. You know, like he's not the most raw talented guy, uh, but he's good enough to win a national title, as we saw. And there's a reason why guys like J.P. Daniels and Brock Vandegriff and the other quarterbacks they had on the roster couldn't beat him out to that starting spot.
2: Yeah, Deontay, Alabama, their offensive line, because we know that that Georgia front four was special, but this year's Alabama offensive line, did it match up to those years in the past? Where, like, Because we all know that Georgia's defensive line was good, but did all, Alabama's offensive line have the right guys up there to defend them?
3: No, I mean, definitely not to Alabama standards. For 95% of college football programs, they'd give a limb to have Alabama's offensive line, but You know, for them specifically, what we're judging them up against, you know, the guys that they've had in prior years, even last year, um, they just don't have that. And that's explainable and understandable. Last year, they had, what, three or four pros on the offensive line. You know, Evan Neal was basically the one holdover, and he was going to be a first-round pick as well. So, you're talking about, you know, a pretty rare combination of offensive line talent that they had last year. And a lot of those guys just phased out, and that's what you're faced with, you know. Even a program that's storied and as dominant as Alabama can have a quote-unquote down year at a position, you know, <laughs> even with all the blue chip talent that they do have.
0: How funny is that? Have a down year at a, a position of importance like the offensive line, you still make it to the championship game. <laughs> I mean,
3: that says a lot about what they are, right? I mean, that says a lot about what they are. Um, me and my co-host, Seth Delina, we're kind of talking about it. Like, how do you rank this Alabama team, not just Georgia, but Alabama in comparison to the other Bama teams? And, you know, our takeaway was that if you match them up against a lot of the other ones that have made national title appearances, the college football playoff appearances, this one may be at or near the bottom of the list, um, Just especially when you consider the injuries and all of that. Right. This was a team that's very good and certainly merited its appearance in the national title game. They were the second best team in the country this year, but that does not necessarily mean that that's the Alabama that we're used to seeing.
0: Right. Exactly. And and that's the thing about it. Like you said, that's a credit to Alabama for being able to be that stinking good, even though they're not at that level that we're used to seeing. How about the quarterback position? Bryce Young, he's the Heisman Trophy winner. He had his Heisman Trophy moment in that SEC championship game. But you saw holes in his game last night. You saw them. How does he go about as a young guy? Because he's still a young dude. How does he go about correcting the issues that we saw the, 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 the inconsistencies that we saw last night?
3: I think that he's bumping his head up against the same thing that we probably see most of the quarterbacks that we expect to be great, bump their head up against. And that's how do you, how are you going to evolve after you finally see a defense that can put enough pressure on you to make you play poorly, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and so to me, the, the biggest thing for, for him, and I think he got a really good look at it, having to play offense without Jamison Williams and John Mechie is when you're the quarterback in this kind of situations, it's all about taking what the defense gives. I think especially, you know, late in the game and, the pick six being what it was, and the other interception that was thrown to uh to number twenty nine Smith from Georgia on that kind of badly thrown ball along the sideline. I think those are two instances where he was either pressing or just took his first read, regardless of what the defense gave him. And I think that in these situations, in these games, you're playing up against an elite defense. You haven't been able to punch the ball in. You can't. You've only got one explosive play from Jameson Williams. That's when you kind of got to go into Tom Brady dink and dunk mode and be able to take those six, seven, eight-yard games down the field in the hopes that you get your three or, four, three or four throws in the fourth quarter or you can get your 15, 18, 20 yards or so as defenses start rolling up closer to the line of scrimmage and playing more man coverage. I think he was still looking to be a little bit too far down the field Especially with the pressure that he was facing and that messed with his accuracy and that's how you end up with those interceptions in the second half.
0: No doubt about it. Talking right now with Deontay Lee from Pro Football Focus, also host of the two high podcast here on Unnecessary Roughness Radio Radio Nine Twenty.
2: Yeah, Deontay, speaking of quarterback play for Georgia, Q asked earlier about um, is this a dominant team? Can they are they set up for long term success? Is there anybody in the transfer portal that maybe Georgia could pick up or is or do they have someone waiting in the wing already behind Stetson Bennett?
3: What I would say, I mean, the Brock Vandegrift kid that they had—I believe he redshirted this year. From everything I've heard from people who would know, he is supposed to be one of those guys that has all the tools—like six-five, two hundred and thirty, two hundred and forty pounds—can throw the football through a big wall. You know, all you hear all of those types of things. Now, I will say, you know, we'll see how this all plays out because nothing's final until it's final. But I—it was my expectation going into this game that. Not only would Georgia win, but that we wake up this morning with news that Caleb Williams will be announcing that that's where he was transferring. That's kind of what I thought. I think that that might be trending in another direction. Um, as a USC fan and as an analyst, right. I won't speak on it until it's final, and I don't want to jinx it as a fan. So, <laughs> um, but I think that we, we I think that people are kind of reading the tea leaves that might be going in another direction. So I think that you'll see we'll get a chance to look at whether or not this Brock Vandegrift kid is who people expect him to be. You know, if he's able to win that job in the spring you know i think that we might be looking at what that next era of georgia offense is with a quarterback that really has that top top nfl level uh, ability to throw the football
0: and yeah I, I, I've i been looking at the tea leaves as well I'm thinking that uh, you're going to start to see that uh, that trending towards Lincoln Riley that uh, quarterback decision from uh, out of Oklahoma trending towards Lincoln Riley and uh, and USC but I won't jinx it either I won't mention no names I won't say any of that I'll just go ahead and watch it exactly. unfold I think that's exactly what's going to happen though so uh, we should see how it all shakes out before we let you go I did want to ask you the Raiders are taking on the Cincinnati Bengals on Saturday in Cincinnati it's a playoff game wild card round Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow I mean just a couple of the Weapons that Cincinnati has. How do you think the Raiders go about trying to defend and slow down that connection that they have that looks to be pretty special right now, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase?
3: The to truth be told, then there's no such thing as covering Jamar Chase this season. It's been proven over 17 weeks' worth of games. When they throw those one-on-one passes on the outside, it's trouble no matter who you have at quarter So to me, the answer starts and ends with pressure. What are you able to do to Joe Burrow in order to make those throws not happen or happen under duress. That's the best bet. What we know about, you know, Gus Bradley and his defense, you, we're not. I don't think that anybody can expect for them to come out and play a bunch of, you know, too high defenses or start bracketing a bunch of guys. That's not his mo. You know, he wants to play. He wants to rush four guys, play his cover one and cover three like he's been doing since since the Seattle days. And you've got to hope that Max Crosby can put together another performance. That's similar to what he did on Sunday night against the Chargers in order to get them in the playoffs in the first place. Get him, get Yannick after Joe, Joe Burrow, and you take your chances with that because there's not a coverage answer that exists right now in the NFL and not one that I think that you can expect the Raiders to use to take away Jamar Chase. It's going to be all about affecting Joe Burrow.
2: All right, Deontay, last time we had you on, you was coming at everybody's favorite commercial quarterback, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> this time you're coming at the everybody's favorite cornerback, Siobhan Diggs there. So what what are you seeing in the film that just to break it down, like he gets the interceptions, but guys, pump the brakes. He's not as good as you think he is.
3: Well, I would say my the premise behind me doing the work in the first place is just like how how much weight are we actually going to put on 11 plays over like a 600-play sample, right? Like are, are those 11 plays actually indicative of how good you are? Are those just 11 great outcomes that happen to, to come about? And that's what I wanted to look at. And then what I found ultimately is in a lot of the key stats and the key data and and key pieces of film that you would use to try to indicate whether or not a player at the corner position is operating at a high level, you see a guy who's struggling. Now, people who have thrown out the fact that this is a wide receiver converted to corner and he's still inexperienced, I accept that. My thing is just that it shows, like, does he have elite wide receiver-like ball skills? Absolutely. You can, you can never take that away from his production this year. However, if you're looking at the full picture, you still see a guy who's susceptible to be a beat on double moves. You saw that with A.J. Green in the last game of the season. You're still seeing a guy who struggles in press at times. He's got great recovery speed, so he's able to make it up. But if you're telling me that your best attributes are your recovery speed and your ability to get interceptions, knowing that this ain't the 50s anymore, where quarterbacks are just throwing the ball up, and praying that it lands in the right guy's hands you know, with how effective guys are and how good people are at the wide receiver position, you can't tell me that that's a plan. That's not a strategy that lasts season over season. And my concern with him and the Cowboys is the moment that he's not generating these turnovers,
1: he's food
3: as a corner. And that's not what you want. Everybody loves a corner that forces turnovers. And my argument wasn't that that's not valuable. It's that if you're not picking the ball off, you're getting beat on at least half of these plays. And a lot of the plays where you're getting beat, you're getting beat over the top for a major amount of yardage. That is not an indication of a good. Cor- that's an indication of a corner that's having a good year forcing turnovers, and that's what Trevon Davis is right now.
0: Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's, <laughs> he called him. <laughs> no, no. I mean, he's not. No, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. That that's been the that's been the issues and why he's hot and cold. But you know, Deontay, you know DBs win games. I mean, you know, you already know.
3: Absolutely. I mean, you're talking to a defensive coordinator here. So exactly.
0: Right. I want to make sure everybody knows. <laughs>
3: How I feel very clearly, nobody over here is mad about interceptions, please let's not get that part twisted up.
0: Right, no doubt, no doubt. Well, hey, man, great, fantastic stuff as always. It's always good to catch up with you. Uh, You got anything coming out that we need to be on the lookout for?
3: Um, You know, the coaching carousel going on in the NFL, we just had Black Monday um, Mm -hmm. yesterday, so I'll be covering a little bit of that. So I'm working on something for for Brian Flores right now about what his – what his options might be, you know, going forward, and then I'm going to be profiling all the defenses um, in the NFL playoffs and, and kind of pointing out which ones I believe are at championship contention uh, level. You know, teams could actually lean on their defense and be a Super Bowl contender.
0: Okay, when are you going to do that? When are you dropping that piece? I, I, I'm really intrigued. When I'm, are you when are you doing that? I'm hoping to get this out before the wild card weekend starts, so
3: it'll be Thursday morning is my goal.
0: Okay, this is the deal. If the Raiders make it through Cincinnati this Saturday, and I mean that's a that's a tough get. But if they do get through on Saturday, I want to revisit that next week and we want to talk about that next week if you have the time.
3: 100% I mean you know you guys know if you reach out to me I'll be there
0: for you done deal okay the Raiders have a job now go win the game so we can have this conversation <laughs> because I'm so intrigued by that that I mean man you got me fired up we might have the conversation regardless but uh Deontay we do appreciate you as always enjoy the weekend enjoy the games and we'll be looking forward to talking to you next week all
3: right man talk to you
0: soon. all right there he goes Deontay Lee pro football focus host of the two high podcast and that has me intrigued that is that gets me going. That's the one. You know what I mean? Like that's the gasoline for the fire right there. That's all you need. You need a little kindling, and a little fire. You know, uh, and the kindling I like to use is matches. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't need to go out there and be Davy Crockett or Davy Woods or whoever the guy is and go and put two sticks together. If one stick is fire and uh, another stick is a, a match, I'm good. That's the match right there. I'm good with that. So uh, Deontay Lee from Pro Football Focus will join him next week. 3:44 is the time when we come back. We'll close out the show just like that. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Give me your best. Hey, Raider Nation, this is Hall of Famer Marcus Allen, and you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Hey, Raider Nation, this is Marcus Allen, and you're listening to Radio Station 920.
0: Say Raider Nation Radio 920.
2: Raider Nation Radio Station 920.
0: Welcome back back to Unnecessary Roughness.
2: Unnecessary Roughness.
0: Here on Raider Nation Radio 920.
2: I'm going to have to kick you, you know
0: what, today. Here's your boy, Q. That sounded like a chain wreck. Was that you DJing? What'd you just do, dude? You know what, man? No, nah, I'm just asking. That sounded no, like a chain wreck. No, I'm sorry. Did you just have two beats trying to match at the same time? That's a bad DJ right you there. No, I was trying to That sounds it. like I that was... DJ that I had back in Texas named
2: Magnum who wasn't very good. I was trying to mix it. for. I'm sorry. You know, I'll be better. That was a
0: bad blend. I'll be better. That's the kind of stuff that clears dance floors. You know what? He everyone's could've... grooving and grooving. All of a sudden, DJ does something like
2: that. And everyone's like... I'm out. You could have just let it slide and kept on with the show, Everyone right? noticed it. Nope. Nobody noticed Everybody it Everybody noticed it. That's you with your keen DJ ears there.
0: Hey, man. I hear bad just, production. I hear bad ears. Just, you could have just bet. let it go. No, I can't. could have just let it go. 3.49 is the time. Got a few more minutes left of today's show. If you want to talk about music. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard two beats that were slapping together. We got
2: phone calls to get to. I'm just Textory. saying. Five minutes left in the show.
0: I... Well, it was my fault.
2: Choose time wisely, man. That's all I'm saying.
0: I'm just well. I mean, let's get the beats to match, or just you know, don't play one and play the other.
2: I did want to bring up this
0: little nugget that I had for you because you had the Marcus Allen rejoiner. I was all excited. I was like, "Oh, that's great! A great segue." And you didn't even know it. How about this? Josh Jacobs has rushed, outrushed every Raider who spent his first three seasons with the team. He's done that. His first three years is better than any other Raider. In the history of the Raiders. Josh Jacobs in three seasons with the Raiders. 3,087 total yards rushing. Marcus Allen, who you just heard. That's why I say it was a great segue. 2,879 yards. Napoleon Kaufman. 2,658. I was a big Napoleon Kaufman fan. Latavius Murray. 2,278 yards. And rounding out the top five, Bo Jackson. 2,084. So, Josh Jacobs a whole thousand yards plus more than the great Bo Jackson. Just throwing it out there. It's good stuff. Even in a down year, Josh Jacobs is running his tail off. And I'm telling you, man, he's really ran his tail off towards the end of the season when the Raiders need it the most. I asked the question at the beginning of the show, what's the most improved unit? Who's the most improved person who's really responsible for this four-game win streak? And I got to go, again, back to the offensive line, what they've been able to do, open up holes for Josh Jacobs. I feel like the four-game winning streak that they're on right now, a ton of it has to do with the strength of the run game. As you mentioned, I had a couple text messages that we had to get to on the Ash text line at 69187, keyword r There's one from Allen in Vegas, but you don't want me to read that one. I know you don't want me to read that one.
2: I think that might be the best one we got. <laughs> want me to read it? Yeah, go I'm ahead, right man. Go, go ahead, man. Take up my right, fancy. Alan go ahead. in Vegas. Demond, we shook hands in the Havana room, but you were too busy kissing babies and signing autographs. I didn't get a chance to introduce myself. You're a rock star, fam.
0: I wonder why you wanted to read that one.
2: Alan in Vegas, my man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That you didn't even have time for. See, this is what you do in the world of kissing hands and shaking babies and shaking babies and kissing hands or whatever it is.
2: Signing autographs, all that good stuff. All that
0: good stuff. And you definitely don't want to shake babies, so don't do that. (laughs) And you probably don't want to kiss hands these days either. But you understand what I'm trying to say. Exactly. In the the world of that, you've got to make time for everybody. You can't just get the ones that, you know, you're, you, you can't be selective.
2: I wasn't. Hey, man, we don't know the full story there. We do. He just said you were too busy for him. That's basically what he said. How are you going to flip this and make me look like the bad guy? I didn't. He said in
0: this text, and I quote, we shook hands in the Havana room, but you were too busy. Those are the words he says. Do you hear the words coming out of his mouth? That's what he said. Maybe the moment but got too big were for him. too busy. Maybe the moment got too big for you.
2: No, it's like that same way I saw Damian Lillard and Charles Woodson right outside the locker room. And I could have said, what's up, Dame? What's up, C. Wood? Why didn't but I you? didn't because the moment got too big.
0: Well, the moment's not too big for Allen. You know why? I know Allen. I shook his hand. I sat and talked to him. I hung out with him because that's what I do. I hang out with everybody. Even the guy wearing the Jaw shirt to bring it all full circle back to how we started the show. This Even guy. the guy wearing the Jaw shirt screaming, "Georgia! Georgia!
2: Roll tide! Roll tide!" This guy's got to be the main character of every story. It's not. This guy. I'm trying to learn you. Oh, my God. Because one day, uh, daddy's not
0: going to be here to hold your hand. You're going so to have to. You're going to have to take the reins. Full of himself. One yeah. of these days, I'm going to pass the keys to you and say, all right, now I've taught you how to drive. I'm locking you out. As now soon as drive. You do. I'm trying to give you the keys to the car, but you don't want to take them.
2: Even in this story, he's passing down the You're keys gonna, to me. I'm, he's I'm, giving me the I'm keys. trying to LeBron James
0: main. you. I'm trying to LeBron James you. Or better yet, I'm trying to do what Kobe Bryant tried to do for Dwight Howard. Tried to teach him how to be a winner, and he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to soak it in. I'm just saying. LeBron tried to pass the keys to Kyrie. Kyrie wanted to get it his own way. And, and he's he has been right since. And, he's and he doing been right just since. Fine. He, he, what has he won without LeBron? He's doing just fine. What has he won without LeBron? i just wondering. Freedom. <laughs> That's what he's wrong. Power to the people. <laughs> he plays one hell of a <laughs> drill. I do love him. It's a hit movie. Took <laughs> a commercial to a movie. Houston and L.A. Man, Final Call of the show. You're on. Unnecessary, brother. What's up, brother? Hey, man.
1: What's up, fam? I'm gonna make you real quick. For y'all, y'all got to be crying, man. Hey, and then and then, Jamar. Look, you were great DJ, brother. I used to DJ in the '80s, late, late '89s, man. I used to
3: blend Anita Baker with LL Coojie. I need a beat, like mm. the way out stuff. But he was a little off, bro. All right, now we're going to move on because I know you always give me the love, so I'll probably shoot myself in the foot. But from last week, the linebacker that was nice was Debo Samuel, and I think he got his ball on last week too. I, I think I saw a couple plays he got ate up, but it wasn't bad. And then I, and then I called Jalen Richard for the offense, and – He got down on that third, you know what I mean? When he needed those 20 yards. So, you know what I mean? So, I'm just saying that. It's just a humble brag, brother. That's all. That's all. Hey, that's all we
0: do. That's what we do around here. Appreciate the call, man. We we like to humble brag around here every once in a while. I mean, DeMond gets a little out of control. (laughs) I try to reel him in, but. You? You? Yes! I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying to hook you up. I had somebody take me under their wing many, many moons ago and turn me into the. Young man than I am today. I'm trying to do I'm trying to pay it forward. I'm trying no, to hook you Just
2: up. The, the humbleness about you. I'm sorry, I keep it humble. You were on the official pregame show and we knew about it for the whole week. You're supposed to advertise? If you don't believe in yourself, ain't nobody else gonna, so
0: you gotta advertise. You're damn right. Man, By we'll the way, speaking of the pregame <laughs> show, we'll be I'm glad that's another segue. You set me up. I'll be at the M Resort on Saturday. We're gonna have an official watch party for the Raiders and Bengals. We encourage everybody. And their mother, and your mother's mother, to come on down and hang out with us. Everything's gonna get started at 10:30, but hey, get the festivities started early. Get there about 10 o'clock. Why not? I'll go 10:30 to 11:30. Pass the sticks on to JT and Eric Allen. Take you all the way up to kickoff. Brent Musburger, Lincoln Kennedy, and we'll watch the game. It'll be nice and warm for us. Come hang out with us at the M Resort. I'll bring some prizes. All we need is you, Raider Nation, Las Vegas, surrounding areas. Even if you're not from the surrounding area. Hell, if you're in the Bay, make the trip up to the M Resort. It's better than going to Cincinnati. (laughs) I mean, at least it's warmer. You know what I mean? And we can hang out. So holler at us. Vinny Bonsignor, Lincoln Kennedy, up next in the huddle, 4 to 6 p.m., taking you home the right way here on Rare Radio 920. I'm out.